This morning we're starting a new Cornerstone U about gender and sexuality called Identified by God, which in our culture, I would say, are some of the most confusing and emotionally charged issues for people. And uh, I think one of the reasons we wanted to do this class is because more often than not, we find Christians hesitant to address these issues or if they do address address it what you often see um, in the media or maybe characterized is Christians being harsh and self-righteous and judgmental and uh, or I think a lot of Christians just avoid the issue or they even avoid people who struggle with these things and so part of the goal of this class is to equip you to think biblically to think compassionately, to understand the issues uh, from a God-centered worldview of what God says about them, to not be um, overwhelmed with the issues that are going on, and uh, to be compassionate towards those who struggle with these things, and also to be able to speak winsomely, um, to be articulate, to be able to articulate a vision of what God has said in his word, what he designed us to be, and and not to be self-righteous, Um, in our attitude towards others. So I I thought I'd begin by introducing you. You're going to see a lot of quotes on your sheet by Christopher Yuan. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about his story. This is from, he's written several books now, but a lot of these quotes are from his book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Uh, As a teenager, Christopher wrestled with same-sex attraction and became convinced, because this is what people told him, that he was gay. And so he immersed himself in this lifestyle. His sexuality, he says, became his identity. It's how he would have defined himself. Uh, And everything else in life took a backseat to that identity. Began to spiral down, he would say, into confusion and depression. Um, He got expelled from dental school, began using drugs, um, just immersed himself in this lifestyle, began selling drugs to fund his lifestyle, and it was really near the end of bottoming out after he got kicked out of school when his parents showed up at his apartment. His parents, through this process, had become Christians. They were new Christians, and they had begun to reach out to Christopher, and they showed up at his apartment trying to help him. And he began shouting at them, I don't want your religion. I don't want your Bible. I don't want you here. Just leave. Get out. And if you ever ever bring up God or the Bible, you will never see me again. And he himself asked the question, why such hatred for God or God's word? And Christopher, even though he did not know the Bible at that time very well, knew it opposed his decisions. And so his mom began to fast and pray for him, took some time in prison and Uh, an HIV AIDS diagnosis, but her prayers were answered and Christopher came to faith in Christ. And now he and his mom actually tour the country speaking and sharing the gospel with individuals and equipping them how to think through some of these issues. And he's very helpful to read because he admits that sexuality is a daily battle for him. That change is hard. That he struggles with these things. He thinks through them. He had and continues to do the deep work of not just changing his sexuality, but redefining his identity by God and by Christ. You can see this quote at the top of your outline. He says, The world tells those of us with same-sex attractions 
that our sexuality is the core of who we are. That's how we begin to classify and identify people. But God's word paints quite a different picture. Genesis 1.27 informs us that we are all created in the image of God. The Apostle Paul says that in Christ we live and move and have our being. Thus, my identity is not gay, ex-gay, or even straight. My true identity is in Jesus Christ alone. And he's getting at the core issue that many today see their sexual orientation as the central aspect of their identity, even to the point where biological gender is subject to that orientation. So what what we've done, we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, just looking at this, is our desires have become authoritative to who we are as human beings. So if I desire this, that has now become what my identity is and who I am and who who I'm defined by instead of what God says we are. So I am what I feel has become the slogan of our age. And what we're going to see is that you can't tell anybody, well, what you feel is wrong or it's inconsistent with what God says. So I am what I feel has become the slogan of our age. And we want to see from God's word, I, I am who God created me to be. And I am who I am reborn in Christ to be is the slogan of every Christian. So I want to start by asking this question because I, I, I get this question a lot and I don't exactly know the answer, but I want to give you a few thoughts. People ask, how did we get here? Especially Christians, I find, are shocked or surprised by our culture. And they ask, like, it seems like this just came out of nowhere. It seemed like it was zero to 100, you know. Like 20 years ago, we seemed to be this moral nation and now we're this immoral nation, which is not accurate at all. But how did we get here where we are today? So a couple of thoughts for you. Um, And I think the issue is we we thought we were heading for this lush paradise and we found ourselves in a desert. And people are asking, where did we take a wrong turn? You know, how did we get to where we are? So just a little bit of history. This is flying very high. But I want you to see a little bit of how ideas have consequences. Thoughts and beliefs have consequences, and we're seeing that in people all around us, okay? So in the 1800s, I would start with Darwinism, which gave people room to believe. You guys know about Charles Darwin, his theory of evolution. So Darwinism gave people room to believe, basically, that the universe was not the product of a loving creator, and that humans were just complex animals. So it, it, it gave people an opportunity to remove any belief in God as a creator, and they now had what they would say is a plausible explanation for how we got here. So basically what Darwin does in his theory is he removes human beings from any purpose or intent behind how we got here. And essentially, through Darwinism, we have separated our identity from God. Should not be shocking to us. Romans 1 tells us that what what can be known about God is plain, his eternal power and his divine nature, but that mankind has suppressed that truth. So though we know there's a God, we don't recognize him as God or give glory to God. And people, mankind, for thousands of years have been running away from God and suppressing the reality of God. So Darwinism comes along, and basically that suppression that we find because of our sin inside of us gives us a reason to say, 
Now I have a plausible explanation for how we got here apart from God creating us. So we separated our identity from God and his purpose for us. And we started to define ourselves as animals with impulses unaccountable to God, which you're going to see this lived out in a lot of different ways in our culture around us. In the early 1900s, Sigmund Freud published a book called Three Essays on the Theory of Sexuality. Along with other atheists at the time, Bertrand Russell, guys like that, they began advocating for sexual freedom. So they began to popularize, at least in the academic world, the idea of removing sexuality from the traditional Christian ethic of one man and one woman in the, the covenant of marriage. They even began to attack Christian ethics, calling it restraining people in an unhealthy and unhappy way. So basically, they're taking Darwinism and they're saying, okay, if this is true, if we have evolved, if there's no purpose and intent, they began applying it saying, well, why do we have to have this institution of marriage? And why are we saying that we must constrain ourselves with this one spouse of the opposite sex for our whole lives? Seems to make people unhappy. They seem to be unhealthy to do this. Who says, is basically the question, right? Who says that this is the way it must be? Now, if you, if you read your Bible, that question, who says, goes all the way back to the beginning of temptation, right? Who says? That's what they popularize. Who says we have to do it this way? And at the time, probably no one would have noticed or thought about what he was writing and what they were saying. They were really just small underwater currents going below the surface. These currents began making their way into the academic world. They became uh, being popularized in different literature until basically the sexual revolution of the 1960s, which popularized these ideas. And we begin to see a whole generation begin to live out these ideas, and that's continued to today. So the generation of youth embraced them, transformed our culture. And I want, I want you to see is that some of the same ideas uh, we see today are the same ideas underneath these changes in the last 150 years. Okay, so what are these ideas? What are the ideas behind how we got here in our beliefs? So the first one is materialism. Okay, materialism, and we're going to get to Scripture in just a minute. This is just some background work. So materialism says that only the material world exists and that the supernatural world is an illusion. So materialism takes Darwinism and basically denies any purpose or meaning to our bodies or any intention behind they, how they are made. So materialism says there is no spiritual world, there's no God, there's only what we see. And this is going to get confusing because in our culture we kind of mix materialism and new spirituality and we've separated them. But materialism just says these bodies, how we're made, our physical makeup, there's no intent, there's no purpose behind it, there's no meaning to it. And this is where, as Christians, we really have to do battle and fight for the spiritual realm. This is what Nancy Piercy says in her book, Love Thy Body, is quote on your outline. She says, the reality of the spiritual realm is important to defend today because the academic world is dominated by the philosophy of materialism, the claim that nothing exists beyond the material world. Yet Christianity holds that body and soul together form an integrated unity that the human being is an embodied soul that there is intent and purpose behind how God has made us by contrast personhood theory 
entails a two-level dualism. Don't worry, I'm going to explain this. That sets the body against the person. So we've separated the material world and the spiritual world, separated these two things as though they were two separate things merely stuck together. As a result, it demeans the body as, ex- as extrinsic to the person, something inferior that can be used for purely pragmatic purposes. So basically, saying all we have, this material world ha- has no meaning, so there's no purpose behind being male or female. There's no intention behind marriage between one man and one woman there's no intention behind the differences in our genders this material world has no purpose it has no meaning and you can see where you start there going back to darwinism and all of a sudden i am whatever i feel we place authority in our feelings and our thoughts and say well this doesn't have any purpose or intention or meaning behind it So whatever I feel, whatever I think, whatever I desire must be the real me. And this has no purpose, no intention behind any creation. It's it's why you'll often hear transgender people say they are trapped in the wrong body, right? That's that's a popular saying. For example, Jessica Savano is a male-to-female transsexual who's doing a documentary called I Am Not My Body. And her whole point is she's arguing that her core identity is completely disassociated from her body. She, she views her body, uh, the material world, as having no design, no purpose, no connection to who she claims she actually is. And when you start going down this path, you start realizing why there's so much confusion around us. Because there's no intention, there's no purpose, there's no truth, there's no objective reality uh, we, we've begun to just give authority to whatever we feel and desire, and it's getting really confusing out there. Even to the point now, I was reading an article last week about how scientists now are having to push back against these ideas because scientists are just going, we've gotten to a point with our laws and our judicial system where uh, just the reality of what we observe, we're not even uh, holding that anymore. You know, they, they're almost forced to see intention behind the created world because God is knitted in us so deeply into our DNA. One, one scientist recently said, you know, you can't argue with DNA. You can argue all day long. This is how I feel. This is who I am. You can't argue against DNA. He's just looking at the created world going, there, there's something to our chromosomes that this is who we are at the deepest level. You cannot change that level. I think they're seeing There is a God who has designed and created us in such a deep way that who we are as male and female, he has intent behind that, how he's created life. So one idea we see is materialism, right? That the God is not involved in the design or meaning behind the material world. That's a huge idea behind our culture. So we're going to talk in a second about what do we do as Christians to talk about that? How do we push back against that? What do we believe? Okay, second idea, I think, behind how we got here, the idea is personal autonomy. So the belief that individuals should have the freedom to decide what is right for their own lives and live in whatever manner brings them the most happiness. So when the Supreme Court ruled that laws against same-sex marriage are unconstitutional, what they said is that the Constitution guarantees the right to personal autonomy and they demanded the removal of restrictions that prevent people from legally pursuing it. So they were not making a moral 
decision. They were saying what our Constitution upholds is personal autonomy, your freedom to do what you want to do and decide what you want. So they were upholding this value of personal autonomy. It's the same reason doctors can't refuse teenagers who want to have gender reassignment treatment because of personal autonomy. That in Canada, they passed that law where you cannot deny them. Even if the parents do not consent, you must give them the treatment if that's what they desire because they have personal autonomy and we must respect their decisions. So here's what's tricky. As Christians, because of personal autonomy, this value our culture upholds, we can no longer even have a reasoned discussion about these issues. Because one of our society's taboos is criticizing someone else's life choices or behavior. So if you question someone else's sexual choice, it's not tolerated and, and it's labeled as hate speech because of this value of personal autonomy, which is a really creative way to end the discussion. To say, well, the, you know, you're saying this is wrong. Well, who are you to say? And how can you say this? And I have the right to decide for myself what's right. And, and you're being hateful. This is hate speech and persecution. And it's very hard to push back against that as a Christian. So a little bit about how we got here. A little bit about the ideas behind it. Here's the consequences. Here's where we find ourselves. I love how John Stone Street, this quote, kind of summarizes it, which is very helpful. He says, nothing is costing our society more Nothing is costing our churches and homes more. Nothing is creating more human casualties than sexual brokenness masquerading as sexual freedom. And I've seen that true just in people's lives. Thinking this is freedom. This is where I'm going to find joy. This is how I'm going to identify myself. This is where I'm going to find life and acceptance. And it's really brokenness. And it, we know this is not where happiness is found. This one area of our lives trying to hold the weight of all of our joy and our identity, placing it on this one category, does not deliver. And it leads to brokenness. And it's actually going to provide a huge opportunity, I think, for us to compassionately share the gospel. So what we see around us in our culture is broken families, uh, children growing up without active fathers, single moms bearing the burden of raising the children alone, masquerading as sexual freedom. Men are not bearing responsibility. We see the abortion rate is astronomical. Gender confusion, pornography, the statistics are staggering. And that's kind of where we are. Um, and I think everyone knows that, but just helpful to understand this is what is going on around us. Uh, and what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we want to help you see the goodness uh, and beauty of God's design, the purity of God's design. We see it tainted by sin, but how God made us is good and it's right and it's beautiful, it's creative, it's amazing. Um, how God thought about creation as male and female and marriage and these things that the Bible has presented for thousands of years are so precious and so right and, and people need to hear this message and they need to hear not just what we're against, but they need to hear what we're for and what God says about this and how good it is. So here's what Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
And I love this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So I'm going to build your faith this morning. We have a great message. Bible, uh, God's word is true and it's so needed today. And my biggest concern is Christians often get overwhelmed or judgmental and we pull away from people who are crying out that they're confused and they're wondering who am i and and, and what's the purpose behind what's going on inside of me and we have the answer and we have this beautiful lovely commendable true word this vision god has given us this understanding of who we are where we came from where we're going why god created us why he made us this way he explains to us what has gone wrong inside of us. We all know the desires that go astray. That's not confusing to us. We get it because our own hearts are this way. And we have a huge opportunity to commend God and his creation and the gospel of Christ to folks. And I want us to push in to love people, to care for them, to not avoid them or go away from them, but to run up to them and love them and talk to them and have conversations about God and what we believe. That's kind of our goal. So what I want to do in the few minutes we have, that's kind of a little background of where we are. A lot of that's probably not new, but just to understand why we're doing this class. So we begin this morning just looking at what beliefs must we stand on. Very basic. I know you know these things, but it's helpful to apply these looking at what our culture believes and some of the, the ideas behind this current of what's going on with gender and sexuality in our culture. So what, what beliefs must we stand on as Christians? First of all, God as our creator. I know that's very basic, but it's just crazy to me that from the first words of the Bible, we have a completely different worldview than our culture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, from the very first pages, the very first words of Scripture, first things that we see in Genesis 1 gives us a worldview that is not common today. And even among those who would kind of believe in God or say there is a God, that he created us with intent and purpose is probably not a popular belief. And so the first thing I think we have to do is we must find ways to bring God into the conversation. Okay, there, there's no way to avoid this. We can't just love people and have friendship and a relationship with them and care for them without bringing God into the conversation. Because when you go back to how our culture got here, the question that started this was, first of all, with Darwinism, where did we come from? We have to say, well, we came from God. But the second question was, who says? Who says things must be this way? Who says marriage has to look like this? Who says that we're created this way? Well, God says. We have to bring God into the conversation and winsomely articulate, well, I believe in a God, a holy, pure, transcendent, sovereign, wise, creative God. And I look at the world around me and I see his wisdom. And, and we have to find ways to bring God back into the conversation and not just what God says about homosexuality, which is important, but we must go further back than that. If that's where we start, I think, I think we're received the wrong way. If that's the first thing that we say to somebody, well, God's word says this, about homosexuality. I, I think we're, we're assuming that they're on the same page as us and it really presents, presents the first thing they hear is a negative command that goes against something going on inside of them. And where I think we need to go back even further and say, well, let's back up a little bit. 
Well, who says what God says? Let's talk about Genesis one. Let's talk about creation. Let's talk about design. Let's talk about purpose. Let's talk about intention. Let's talk about why we're here and where we're going and why we exist and why God created us. People need to know that they are not a product of random chance, but a masterpiece of a powerful God with a purpose behind their lives. That's why I love Ted Tripp. Uh, if you were at the, uh, the Instructing a Child's Heart seminar last week when Ted Tripp talked about Deuteronomy 6, and he talked about in our families, which I think applies in, in our households, with our roommates, I think it applies everywhere, but Deuteronomy 6 presents this picture of talking about God in the morning. And he said, you know, over breakfast, we look at our day, and well, what's God have for us today, and how can we honor God? And we talk about God throughout the day. And at the end of the day, we come together and we say, what can we thank God for today? It's just this picture of when we rise, when we lie down, you know, all day long, we're just saturated with thoughts about God, thinking about God and loving God and thinking about what God would have for us. And I think we need that more in our lives. I need that more in my life. I need to be more God-centered. I don't want to be ashamed of God. I don't want to be ashamed that I believe in God, that I think God created us with a purpose. And uh, so with, you know, in our classes, with friends, with coworkers, I think we just need to bring God into the conversation and not be ashamed of God because behind God is this wonderful purpose and intent and amazement in how he created us. Okay, so God is our creator. We must stand on that belief and make sure we bring God into the conversation. Secondly, our identity is rooted in how God made us. Okay, our identity is not rooted in our sexuality. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is a huge doctrine we have to stand on today. The doctrine of the image of God is essential to understanding what human sexuality is and who we are as human beings. So God created Adam and Eve, male and female, as the crown of all creation in His image. Men and women are image bearers of God. We represent God. We reflect God. Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Okay, it was good. God saw this. He saw man and woman and he thought this is very good. God's design, God's purpose, God's intention with creation, with us being male and female, as he has decided, is all very good. And there's an accusation that it's bad, that it's wrong, that who we are is not right. That's, that's people say, you know, this is not the right body for me. No, it's very good. What God created is good. Uh, You can see this quote by Todd Wilson, a wonderful book called Mere Sexuality. He says, God has woven sexual difference into the fabric of creation. And because of this, our being male and female is integral to our calling as image bearers. As a result, we can't ignore or minimize the fact of our being male or female without undermining our ability to flourish and find fulfillment when we are going against God's most basic creation in us as men or women. We're really rebelling against God and we will not find happiness and fulfillment in that rebellion. Being male or female is essential to who we are. And as you think through the Genesis account, 
differentiation is a fundamental recurring element in creation. It's a theme of Genesis 1. So God separated light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning, the waters and the heavens, land and sea, and God differentiated humanity and He made them male and female and that was good. Behind our culture, there's an argument, this is bad that we're different. You know, they want to make everything equal, everything the same, difference is bad. God says difference is good. That there's purpose behind it, there's intent, there's design. Uh, And so we have to celebrate that. It goes back to complementarianism, I think, as men and women created in the image of God, embracing biblical masculinity, embracing biblical femininity, and, and, and living it out in a way where it says this is good. What God says is good. What God designed is good. And what Genesis 1 does in understanding our identity, being rooted in how God made us, not exactly how we feel. We're going to get to this in a second. But we go back before even how I feel or my thoughts rooted in how I'm made. It allows us to place our sexuality and our gender under the direction and intent of God. Within the context of marriage between one man and one woman uh, or in celibacy, you know, we are not autonomous. We are accountable creatures that must submit to our creator. And that's one of the things Christopher Yuan does in his book, Holy Sexuality. He says we need to go back not just to homosexuality or heterosexuality, but biblical, pure, holy sexuality. There's a way to express this that honors the Lord. That's what we're arguing for. There's a right way to express how we live this out and how God designed us. So in our culture, you're going to see that our sexuality defines us, right? It's who you are. That's the core where they drop down to the lowest level. That is who you are. Our feelings have become objective reality. And so in our culture, we don't have the right to say, you know, uh, that, 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 that there's any authority outside of ourselves. But as Christians, we know we don't have the right to say, well, I'm going to do this because this feels right. We don't have the authority to decide what is right and wrong. Only God does. And we submit ourselves to God because our identity is rooted in how God made us. So you can see, I think I have this for you on this quote by, quote by Sam Elberry, who's a pastor. Uh, he's the author of Is God Anti-Gay? And he says this. He says, it sounds chunky, to describe myself as someone who experiences same-sex attraction. But describing myself like this is a way for me to recognize that the kind of sexual attractions I experience are not fundamental to my identity. They are part of what I feel, but are not who I am in a fundamental sense. I am far more than my sexuality. And he's talking about how he doesn't want to defend himself as gay or, or formerly gay. He says, I want to define myself, but who God says I am. Our identity is rooted in how God made us. And how, so how do we help folks understand what's going on inside of them when they wrestle with this? Well, we see in God's word that our sexuality is affected by sin. In Genesis 3, the image of God in us was distorted by sin. It was not lost. Okay? The image of God was never lost in us, but it was distorted. This is why we should not be de- defined even by our sin struggles. Okay, no, one, no one, even us, we don't want to be defined by our sin struggles. This is what Christopher Yuan says. 
He says sin is universal and pervasive, but it isn't who we are. Okay, sin goes against who we were created to be, but it's not who we are. Every sinful person is still a person created in God's image. God's image is inherent to who we are, and it's never erased, which means as Christians, we treat every person with dignity and respect and honor because they're created in the image of God. I love C.S. Lewis. As far as that image is marred, they're still created in the image of God. And we, cre- we treat every person with dignity and respect and honor. We seek to understand their struggles, their temptations, their confusion, their feelings, what's going on in their hearts. This should not, um, you know, we shouldn't be shocked by this. We shouldn't be surprised by this. When someone is struggling with their sexuality, struggling with desires that go against how God created us to be, that doesn't surprise us as Christians because we, we've struggled with that. We understand that and we know it's from our hearts, which makes it very confusing because our hearts desiring things that go against how God created us to be. This is what Jesus says in Mark 7. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So we're not shocked. We, we should understand why somebody would struggle with sexual perversion. Because we understand the heart. We understand our hearts. We understand sin. When someone experiences desires, that go against God's design, we understand because we experience the same thing. So whether it's same-sex attraction or desire for sex outside of marriage or someone who's not our spouse, these sinful desires come from our hearts. And we don't categorize these as, oh, this one's worse than this. These are sinful desires from our hearts and we seek to understand this is what's going on inside of them. Christians have too often been shocked by sin and the result is instead of being understanding and thoughtful and helpful we come across as judgmental and self-righteous like i don't know why you would desire that i don't understand that and okay we don't get the doctrine of sin if we're saying things like that i get it because i wrestle with those things because my heart is wicked i understand you know the defilement that comes when i'm confused because i'm desiring something that god says i shouldn't desire and i know that's my heart and we also understand as christians the consequences of sin, that it doesn't deliver as advertised. It has consequences in our relationship with God, which should give us compassion for people. When we see them struggling, when we see their life choices and the effect it has on them, uh, our effect should not be, oh, I told you so, or I knew that was what was going to be, it happened to you. You know, that's what happens when you disobey God. It should give us compassion and say, hey, I get it. I've had the consequences of sin. You know, I felt the guilt and the shame and the confusion. And so I understand it. Sin shows us we are desperate for a Savior, for redemption, for rebirth. And if we can focus on the image of God in us, the distortion of sin, where we understand where these desires come from, we understand how they're confusing, we understand how they go against God's design, then we can get to the Gospel, to a Savior who redeems us, how we need to be born again. We need hope and forgiveness. We need to be cleansed from our sins. This is what Christopher Yuan says, this quote on your page again. He says, homosexuality isn't a psychological disorder or a developmental problem. To think that way, and he's talking about how Christians have said, well, it's, 
it's because these sons grow up and they don't have dads in the home. So I see there's confusion because they don't have this role model. And, and we try to explain these things. And he says, you know, to think that way is a futile human-centered attempt to erase the reality of original sin. Let's call sin what it is. When we do, we realize that the answer is not human-centered. The only answer for sin is Jesus Christ. Sin is the great problem. Jesus is the great solution. What we need is to be born again. In which we see, which he hits so hard in his book, our new identity is found in Christ alone. Christ came into the flesh. Talking about materialism, you know. Uh, one of the ways we combat that is God himself entered into the flesh. Entered into material. Entered into the body. Into humanity. He entered into it as a male i'm sorry ladies he was a male that's how his dna was you know why god chose that i don't know but he came as a male he came bearing god's image he represented us and this is really helpful todd wilson hits this in mere sexuality but jesus represented us in his sexuality okay just think about it jesus honored god perfectly with how he lived out his sexuality he was celibate, which means we don't have to get married to honor God. We don't have to express our sexuality by having sex to honor God with our sexuality. That's not the fulfillment of how God created us. We can honor God in our sexuality while being single, by being pure and holy and honorable. Jesus was a man in every sense. He was pure for us so that we could receive His righteousness and purity in our place. So when we go astray with our thoughts and our desires and we repent, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which includes how He perfectly honored God with His sexuality. Todd Wilson, from the story of his life, we learn that sexual activity isn't essential to human flourishing or personal fulfillment. Jesus found contentment with his sexuality in the pursuit of chastity and celibacy. To be blunt, he didn't need sex, not because sex is sinful or somehow beneath his dignity, but because sex isn't essential to being human. Doesn't define us. Okay, that's what that's where we have to push back against our culture. That's our definition of us. No, it's not our definition. Being made in the image of God is our definition. Being in Christ is our definition. And in Christ, we see the image of God being restored to its original purity and glory. Again, Christopher Yuan. He says, my sexual orientation didn't have to be the core of who I was. My primary identity didn't have to be defined by my feelings or sexual attractions. My identity was not gay or homosexual, or even heterosexual for that matter, my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. And so the goal is not to convert people from homosexuality to heterosexuality, but to convert them to faith in Christ and to have a holy sexuality, a purity in our hearts that comes from being born again by the Spirit of God. And Christopher Yuan, he hits this point really well in his book because he tells a story about doing a class and teaching on this. And he said he had this mom come up to him 
And this mom was crying and she had a son who was a homosexual who was in a relationship and she had uh, another son who was heterosexual and he was in a relationship outside of marriage living with his girlfriend. And he and, and the mom made a statement to him. I don't understand why this son can't be normal like this son. And Christopher Ewan is going, you know, if that's the goal, that that is not what we're trying to convert people to. This son is living in sin just like this son is. Both of your sons need to be born again. And he's getting at the goal of our identity is not which preference we have. Our identity is in Christ, is being pure, fighting against those temptations, repenting of them. This son needs to repent. He does not have a holy sexuality. And sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, that, that's what we're trying to do. That's not what we're trying to do. We want to honor God. We want to glorify Christ. We want to have a holy sexuality. We must all submit our desires to God. To pray with Psalm 51 that God would wash us and cleanse us from our sin. And so as we look around our culture, don't just think, man, it's just, you know, this gender and homosexuality. It's much broader than that. It's, it's in these relationships outside of marriage. It's in our culture of sex that's unaccountable outside the covenant of marriage. All these things need to be brought the, uh, the light of the gospel and how God made us to be. And so we don't want to just categorize some as being wrong and, and these aren't as bad. No, 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 no. We want a holy sexuality. We want our identity to be that we are created by God in the image of God and we want to express how we live as men, how we live as women, how we express our sexuality. We want it to be pure and holy and undefiled and God-honoring in everything we do. So final thing this morning, and then we'll have a few seconds, few minutes for, for questions. But as Christians, this is I want to keep hitting this. We must have grace and truth in this category, okay? Jesus, I love thinking about Jesus. Read through the Gospels. And just look at how Jesus interacted with sinners. Okay, He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% grace for them and 100% truth. So he loved them well. He, 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 he ate with them and he came into their homes and he fellowshiped with them. You know, But he never let go of the truth of God's word. He never negotiated and, and decreased the demands God had on them. And they received it well from Jesus because he loved them well. It wasn't self-righteous. If anyone had, could have been self-righteous, it should have been Jesus. He was righteous, but he wasn't. He was humble and he loved others well. But he never let go of the truth of God's word while he loved them. And the problem is, if we only have truth, if that's our big position, then we're quick to judge, we're slow to forgive. When we, when we see people, we say hateful things in the name of Christ, and, and, and they don't receive grace from us, okay? And if we only have grace, but not truth, well, we're quick to accept, we're quick to you know, welcome people, but we don't lead them to repentance, we're not faithful to proclaim the gospel to them of their need to repent and put their faith in Christ. We don't lead people to actually experience the joy of obeying and trusting God and being set free from the domain of sin. So as Christians, I just always try to think of those two categories. I want to be full of grace. I want to not be shocked or surprised by sin. I get it. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not surprised when someone else struggles because I've struggled. You know, I want to have grace for others, but when I have grace for them and I love them, I also don't want to release the truth of God's word. 
And I think one of our goals as Christians is how do I go back? And I think here's the thing we need to do. Like I said earlier, is we need to go back further. I think we're assuming people are this far along with us in their beliefs when they're really all the way back here. So Randy Newman years ago uh, wrote a book, Questioning Evangelism. But one of his illustrations I love is he talked about the path for people to come to Christ is not just one step. There's, also, there's often many steps along the way. And he talked about it being from A to Z. So we're trying to get them to see Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior and to repent and put their faith in Him. But people may be way back here where they don't even believe in God. And you're presenting the gospel to them. They have no understanding of sin, no understanding of accountability to God. And so his goal was just, I'm always trying in my conversations just to move them the next step. And he used this illustration with his mom over like 20 years, how he just kept moving her along, moving her along. And she finally read Matthew. She was a Jewish lady. And I love the moment. He says she read, she started reading the New Testament, Matthew, and she called her son, Randy Newman. And she said, Randy, Randy, I'm reading Matthew. This is a Jewish book. He said, I know, Mom, I was trying to tell you that. And this Jesus says he's the Messiah. Yes, Mom, that's what I was telling you. And it was like 20 years of just moving her along, you know. And I think if we go back to, okay, let's go back to, let's not get to this what, what I think about homosexuality or this. Let's go back to who made us? Why are we here? Why did God create us? How did God create us? Do we agree on that? Because when we get to that, then we can understand, well, what went wrong? Where have we gone astray? Well, sin entered into creation. We see it all around us. And then if we can get to sin, then we can talk about Christ and how He came and died for our sins on the cross, shed His blood for us, entered into humanity. And then we can talk about the resurrection, the new life, the hope, the joy, the freedom, the Holy Spirit filling us, all the fruit of the Spirit we have in our lives, the joy, the peace, you know, the self-control, these things. But it takes a while to get there. And so in our relationships, loving people, welcoming them, caring for them, and standing on God as our creator uh, and the truth of the gospel as our identity is where we want to go. And hopefully over the next several weeks, uh, this, this class will help you think through some of these things. Um, you know, Jake and Kent are going to go into God's word a little more. I, I did some background, but go deeper into God's word and how we should live this out and be examples and also... Um, getting into how we can answer some questions and and how to interact with folks in a way that serves them and welcomes them. So I know that was a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, We have a few minutes. If anybody has any questions with this material, I'm not going to get too far ahead. We'll be answering a lot of questions in the upcoming weeks. But anything in regard to this, comments or questions that you think would serve the group? You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.